0: Hey guys, we'll jump into today's episode in just a second, but first, a friendly reminder from the Sweeper Keeper team. The Score app is a one-stop shop for all of your footy needs. So if you haven't already, head over to your app store and download it for your iPhone or your Android. Subscribe to your favorite teams and get all of your news, scores, and highlights right in the palm of your hand 24-7. And now, here's today's show. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Sweeper Keeper podcast. On the show today, the Champions League is back with a bang and a few surprises. So we'll break down all the action from match day one. And we'll also take a look at some of the biggest news items making waves in world football this week. I'm your host, Gianluca luc and joining me remotely once again, a man who had his choice of any Champions League game to watch this week, and managed to pick out the only goalless draw of the lot. Daniel Rouse is here.
1: Mate, I was so bitter about that as well, because Chandler in the office kept on rubbing it in by talking about the end-to-end game <laughs> that he was watching, and I was watching absolute <laughs> drivel. It was awful. It was, honestly, it was entertainment level was close to Burnley versus West Brom. Oof. I know, I know, I know. I, I thought a campus was going to be a lovely old game, but nope, it was rubbish.
0: Well, I certainly won't be asking you for the lottery numbers this week.
2: <laughs>
0: Socially distanced from Rouse, basking in the glow of Milan's perfect start to the Serie A season, Anthony Lapopolo is here as well.
2: No one is more surprised about that than I am, trust me. <laughs> that's, um, that's very 2020 of, of AC Milan, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, we have Milan in first, I think Sassuolo's in second. Atalanta got destroyed last weekend. It's all topsy-turvy in Serie A.
2: You know what? It's fun, too. It's fun. And I think that's what the league has needed, some some, some unpredictable results. And I think that's what we're getting so far.
0: This is not your nonno Serie A anymore.
2: Not at all. Not at all.
0: <laughs> Hopefully it continues all season long. All right, guys. Let's jump right into the topic of the day. As we said, Champions League back in action. And to lead us in, as we always do, our... Friend? Eh. Colleague? Not quite. The one and only Tancredi Palmeri. Alright guys, let's start with Tuesday's Champions League action. We'll get into Wednesday in the second segment of the show, but kicking things off naturally with Tuesday. And Rouse, the biggest game on Tuesday, Manchester United travelling to PSG. I think at this point, United might want to petition to play all their home games in Paris because the way it's going, if they did that, Marcus Rashford might win the Ballon d'Or every freaking year.
1: I know, it's absolutely crazy. And, you know, for Solskjaer, it just seems he like he gets these, you know, band-aid wins all the time. You know, he just feels like he's you know, finally falling out of the driver's door. And then, you know, suddenly, I don't know, a, a raised manhole pops him back into the seat and, you know, he's back at the wheel again and he's just done it again. You know, we, we were all writing obituaries for his reign at United. It looked like it was going downhill again. It just seemed like that You know, 4-1 against Newcastle was a bit of a false storm because before that, they've been wretched so far this season. But, you know, I have to say, um, you know, we started with a balanced uh, 3-4-1-2 set up. You know, there was a kind of springboard for a counter-attack and, you know, there were touches of Mourinho there with uh, McTominay picked over Pogba. But there was also a touch of Ferguson with, you know, Rashford, Fernandez, and Marshall set up to do a kind of impersonation of what Rooney, Tevez, and Ronaldo used to do. So, you know, maybe you know, Solskjaer can learn. Maybe he can get better at tactics because, you know, most most of the evidence we've seen so far, he's not particularly great at them, but he definitely succeeded in Paris this time around.
2: I do want to give a little bit of love to Axel Twinzebi, who I think filled in admirably for Harry Maguire in that three-man defense. And this is a defender who has really struggled... Um, with injuries in, in in recent months and to see him put in that kind of performance against the likes of Mbappe um he did a really good job marking Mbappe in this game um it, it was really encouraging stuff um uh, especially for a team that badly needs help at the back um Twenzevi looked good he looked good and and maybe that's a long-term solution there I know it's just one game but it's definitely something to build on.
1: Yeah, I think Twan Zabie was, you know, in danger of being filed in the same folder as uh, Cameron Borfrick Jackson, who was, you know, temporarily a bit of a saviour during Louis Van Gaal's reign, or certainly towards the end of it. But you know, he's now playing for Oldham Athletic. But I think with Twan Zabie, I think there's always been a bit more genuine excitement about him. He's 22 now, so yeah, it's taken him a while. Um, he has had you know, some bad luck with injuries, but this is a real opportunity for him now. You know, he's performed on a bigger stage against PSG, who on another day, could have won the Champions League final. It was a tight final. People forget that, you know, just because of how dominant Bayern were in the rest of the tournament. But I think, uh, yeah, Twan has got a chance to put his stamp on this team. And this could give Maguire his time off that he so desperately needs right now.
0: In terms of getting a, a big test right off the hop, I mean, it doesn't come much bigger than PSG and having to defend against, as you said, Kylian Mbappe, Neymar. Antoine Zebe and you know one of the best defensive fullbacks basically in the world right now, Aaron Wambissaka. Yes, Mbappe had a couple of chances, but on the whole, I think both of them played an outstanding game.
2: Yeah, again, another encouraging sign is is uh performance. Um, he's done really well and, and I have to give you credit, Rouse, because you know, you hailed this signing from the very beginning, even um despite the, the, the big fee that that united ended up paying for him um he's he's turning into a fantastic defender fantastic fullback he's even showing some uh, glimpse of of promise in the attacking phase and i think that's been the weakest part of his game but um if you can be a little bit sharper going forward then i think you know you' you're looking at a player who could be one of the top top fullbacks in the world so um that, that that's another uh another encouraging um bit to take from that game and uh you know with Juan Basaka this is a this is a you know a a a growing storyline here and this is not just the first game that he's played well in so uh there's a lot more evidence to suggest that you know he is going to turn out to be uh, a world class player
1: and surely you you think it wouldn't take that much work because you know people tend to forget that from when he joined the Crystal Palace you know, youth academy to now He's had most of his career spent as being a winger. He only was a latecomer to the fullback position. So, you know, we've seen signs of him improving going forward. I think he got a goal against Newcastle, if I remember rightly. So there are improvements to his game. And also, I think, um, no, another positive here for United is that David De Gea made some really good saves here and looked very yeah. assured between the sticks. And it's something we haven't seen for a while. Um, I'm sure Dean Henderson won't be particularly happy about it. But, yeah, maybe, you no, know, this is more than know, just a, an unexpected result. I think United were were balanced. I think some of their you know key players looked you no know, like they really rose to the occasion and then, you know, you got a surprise package like Twan Zabi just really stepping in and playing well. So, you know, all in all, it's not a, a fluke here. I think it was a genuinely, you know, well deserved, well thought out win by Solskjaer.
0: Yeah, quickly about uh Aaron Wambasaka, the goal he scored against Newcastle. Great goal, first of all, so surprising that his teammates were joking afterwards. They thought it was a cross that he just mishit and happened to put it in the top corner. Um, his second shot on target in his professional Premier League career ever. Wow. <laughs> so it shows you how rare his forays forward have been. Uh, and I do think if he develops, we know how great he is defensively, uh, and especially in one-on-one situations. He is, if not the best fullback in the Premier League already in those situations, he's one of the best if he becomes even half of that player, offensively in the other direction, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I think potentially you could be looking at a guy who could maybe displace Trent Alexander-Arnold. To be honest, just the strength
1: and depth that England have in this position is obscene. I mean, I, we're talking about players like you know the quality of Tariq Lamptey, uh, you know Max Aarons, um, a few others, a fair few others. On top of that, I think Daniel Story put out a. Um, and 11 of the best right-backs of uh, England have got an offer, and a few of those will never, ever be capped by their country, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, just throw England a few left-backs, because they're certainly short in that area.
0: They could just play a whole team of right-backs at Euro 2020-21, slash or whatever we're calling this tournament next summer.
2: And just like Scotland can play a team of left-backs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> we need to make a couple of trades between those two home nations. Um, very quickly, on the flip side, PSG... How much cause for concern is there after this first game? Obviously still extremely early in this tournament. They made the final last year, and they were without Verratti. Leandro Paradis didn't play. Marquinhos didn't play. Icardi didn't play. So a lot of absences. Um, But they looked hilariously open, especially at the end of that game. Um, And it's not all doom and gloom just yet because we're one game in. But uh, Thomas Tuchel has some things to figure out.
2: He definitely does. I think the biggest concern with this squad is how much pressure there is on players like Verratti and Marquinhos. Uh, Marquinhos, especially, he seems to be the guy who fills in the cracks no matter where they are. Uh, And PSG hasn't really replaced Thiago Silva, certainly not his leadership. So I think they may struggle um, leaking goals at the back. Uh, Navas is an accomplished keeper. I think he'll be fine. Um, But again, I, I think he's not going to get, I don't, I'm not sure he's going to get much help at the back. Um, um, I think the jury's still well out on uh, President Elkin Bampe. I don't know if he's up to the level that PSG want to be at. Uh, it's 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 going to be tough for them. Uh, and, and if Marquinhos and Verratti are both out, I mean, these are, I think, two of the best players in in their position um i i just think that they're going to have a lot of struggles and you know putting in danilo Pereira is just not the same it's just not the same so if they're not scoring a bunch of goals um you know they're they're i think they're going to struggle and tuchel kind of you know he was kind of concerned about this going into the season Uh, he took that shot at at leonardo uh, the sporting director by saying you know look everybody else is improving around us but we haven't really done anything and you know they they did make a, a flurry of moves uh before the end of the of the window but i mean not to the level that they really needed so i think there are some genuine concerns with this team Rafinha is probably the one signing that i kind of excited about i think he can bring something to that midfield but uh the rest i just don't think they're going to lift PSG to the level that they they're aspiring to
0: yeah and Rafinha first and foremost, needs to stay healthy, which is That's always been his right. problem, right? So concerns even with a guy like that who, when he is fit, is, like you said, yeah, very exciting and very intriguing player, but um, just hasn't consistently been able to stay fit. So uh, interesting to watch PSG going forward in the Champions League. You never want to get your campaign kicked off with a loss and puts you behind the eight ball right away. Uh, I think they'll still be okay in that group, but yeah, maybe, maybe some issues going forward that uh, we have to keep a closer eye on. It's not going to be smooth sailing like we all thought. Speaking of a team that uh, struggled to score goals this week, Rous, we mentioned it off the top, the game that you decided to watch, Chelsea, um, they just can't seem to, to strike the right balance yet. When they look great going forward, they're diabolical at the back, and now against Sevilla in midweek, they finally keep a clean sheet, and they generate absolutely nothing at the other end. What happened in this game?
1: Well, as I said before, this looked like a bank to watch. I mean, Chelsea lined up with Mason Mount, Kai Havertz and Pulisic playing behind Timo Werner. And then, you know, for Sevilla, they've got plenty of entertaining players there. You know, headlined by Lucas Akampos, Rakitic played and uh, La Poblo's favourite, Suso, as well. Like, it should have been a really entertaining, entertaining game. Should have been a lot of attacking play, but it was just super, super conservative. I mean... Sevilla do have, you know, Diego Carlos and uh, Koundé was, uh, you know, out of this one due to COVID nineteen, so they can defend Sevilla. But you know, as far as we saw so far this season, Chelsea can't defend. But something changed here, and I think the main thing was Mendy being back in the lineup. Uh, you know, Kepa came back into the side and the Premier League, made another mistake. He just. He's, he, I can't believe he's the most expensive goalkeeper in the world. It's absolutely mad. He's crumbled, has not he? He's just kind of a shadow of the person he was. You know, of the confident guy who refused to get subbed off by Sari, isn't he? Like, are two different human beings. You know, Edouard Mendy came in. Um, some great interviews today, if you can find them online, about how he was, you know, unemployed a few years ago and how he's managed to rise up and become, you know, Chelsea's saviour. Really, so you know, look out for those. Um, I think he organised the back, back line really well. And then Thiago Silva obviously came in as well, and he did seem to instil some calm in the back line. Um, you know, he just looked solid rather than, you know, resembling a depressed accordion, as it has a few times this <laughs> season. And um, I just feel that... I still think that Antonio Rüdiger or Tomori can be more aggressive on the front foot defenders to play alongside Thiago Silva than Kurt Zuma, who I think, you know, for... A guy who's very you know physically intimidating it can be a little bit timid and a little bit indecisive sometimes. So I think Rudiger or Tomori should be playing alongside Silva. But I think there's signs for positivity there. I think it was a lot better. Um, I still think they're going to have problems this season. You can't pin all your hopes in a 36-year-old Thiago Silva at the back. But I don't know. You know Lampard, another pl- manager who hasn't proved himself to be the most uh, tactically... I know sound manager maybe may slowly slowly working out just like Solskjaer.
2: It's a lot of pressure on that part. Uh, I think, you know, the the Chelsea's board really went out and um hit a home run in the transfer market and I think, you know, anything less um than than a deep run in the Champions League um certainly um you know a Champions League spot in the Premier League uh, I just don't think he would survive for, to, to see the next season. Um, to be honest, uh, and I, he's gotta, he's gotta work it out quickly. Um, and this, the, the, games are gonna come thick and fast. There's really the, the margin for error is very small, uh, especially, uh, this season of all seasons. So he's gotta find a balance. And I think, you know, he, he has enough pieces to find some kind of a balance. But, again, it's going to come down to how they manage the ball, uh, what kind of you know, individual mistakes um, are made in the field, which he doesn't really have control over. Um, you know, we saw Tiago Silva make you know, a, a couple of really really poor errors uh, on his Premier League debut. So, um, But, again, I think that was a one-off. That was always going to be a one-off. Um, I think Tiago Silva is a fantastic defender, and we're starting to see that now uh so it's it's gonna take i think a collective effort Lampard's got to trust his players and he's 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 gotta put him in a position to succeed as long as he does that i mean there's not much else he can do because Chelsea has so much firepower at, at a certain point he's just gotta let them play and 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 hope for the best because he has to play to this team's strengths and and that's and that's going forward
1: I just think he's been a little bit too. Direct in his attacking play this season. I mean, it might work against Southampton, um, you know, because they play a very high defensive line a lot of the time. So you can put those balls over the top and get Timo Werner to kind of, you know, bustle his defender out of the way. But I think against a lot of defenses, um, they're going to be playing deep against Chelsea because Chelsea have an intimidating strike force and he's got to find more creative ways to breach those back lines. Um, I think Pulisic can do that now he's fit again. Um, you know, he's one of the most exciting wingers in the league. Um, Kai Havertz, we've seen what he he could do for Bayer Leverkusen. He's a really deadly finisher. Um, and, you know, Mason Mount, I don't feel like he gets that much credit. I'm not completely sold on him. I think he's all right, but I don't think he sets the world alight. I mean, Gianluca, I know you're a little bit more a defender of Mason Mount. I mean, what do you
0: think he really brings to this team? Am I? I didn't know that. That's news to me. <laughs>
1: I think Hmm. you defend him in the past. (laughs) No,
0: I'm just joking. I um, yeah, I think I fall kind of in line with where you are. Like uh, Mason Mount, I think is fine. Weirdly, a lot of people seem to hate Mason Mount, which I think is unfair. Um, like he's not a world beater, I don't think. And you know, he is certainly a player who needs to develop in terms of his shot selection, um, his his passing decisions, and kind of some of those issues when he gets in and around the the box. But people, he seems to really upset a lot of people, at least from what I've seen in the Chelsea community and the online uh, Twitterverse when Mason Mount plays, especially for England. Maybe that's that's skewed a little bit towards the national team. But I don't know. I think he gets a lot of unfair hate. I, th- I think he's fine and he's still young enough that he has a lot of room to grow and improve. But I do think he's the, what, fourth or fifth best option of all the attackers that they have. Obviously, Werner. Havertz, Pulisic, we've talked about before, is amazing. Um, We haven't seen anything out of Zayac yet because he's been injured. He's coming back into the fold. And a forgotten guy in Tammy Abraham, who I am definitely still a defender of. So I think Mount is, in my opinion, at the bottom of that pecking order. Obviously, Lampard loves him, so he's going to get the minutes. I think he played more minutes in the Premier League last year than any other Chelsea player. So yeah, if Lampard is going to continue to ride him this hard, then... He's gonna to have to start producing because there are so many good players around him that they need to be given a chance if Mount doesn't uh, doesn't deliver the goods.
1: Yeah, and as you said there, like a lot of the kind of Mason Mount you know, anti brigade, uh, do it does stem from uh, England duty because I think a lot of people want to see Jack Grealish start games for England. Um,
0: Fair I'm enough, to them. be honest.
1: Yeah, I'm one of them. Uh, I don't really blame them. So, yeah, I I, I think it kind of like um, and then it kind of like just dribbles over into uh, into club football as well. But I think he's all right. I just don't think, um, you know, as as a long-term thing, I can't imagine him, you know, wearing a captain's armband or anything like that in uh, five or six years' time and kind of, like, you know, winning games on his own, which is what you want from, you know, from a Champions League team. You want to have those attacking midfielders who, you know, if the team's playing crap, can kind of drag you over the line. Um, Other teams have got it. I think Chelsea have got it for the most part, but I don't think Mason Mount's one of those players.
0: All right, moving on to a couple other continental heavyweights that were in action on Tuesday, both picking up wins. And we'll start, first of all, with Barcelona, who we've talked about uh, in the past couple of shows and some of the issues they have. Now, fair enough, they played against uh, Hungarian Minos Faro, so you don't want to put too much stock into a 5-1 win. But guys, I mean, they look decent, and I think the big takeaway... Frankie de Jong may have something to say about this, but is Ansu Fadi already Barcelona's second best player? What, one place behind uh, Martin (laughs) Braithwaite? I was wondering if you were going to go there. Naturally, you did. (laughs) 17-year-old kid, he's the first player in Champions League history to score multiple goals before turning 18. And at least early on this season, we saw a little bit of it last year in the Champions League as well, but... Certainly this year, in the first few games, I mean, this kid's on fire. And um, for a team that really needs somebody else to help Leo Messi and take some of that burden off his shoulders, I don't know how many people realistically expected Fatty to be that guy already right away.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of pressure on Fatty, And uh, that's not the greatest thing for development, for a player's development. You don't want to put... You know, such a young teenager into a position where he feels he has to play at his absolute best every single game just to get Barcelona over the line. Um, but uh, it, on the other hand, it seems like he does have the capabilities to—he does have the capability to do that. So um, I wouldn't blame Komen for, for for continuing to play him. I think they just got to be a little bit careful with how they handle Fati. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of young players come through Barcelona and end up, you know, Boyan being the number one, you know, the number one uh, example. You don't want to put him in a position where he feels like he's failing the club or just, you don't want that negativity on a young player. So I, I would, you know, I, I would be very careful with, with Fatih. And really, I think that the second best player behind Messi on this team should be Frankie De Jong, um, especially in his second season. Now, with Barcelona, he's playing under a manager that supposedly gets him. Um, you know, I think Kuman realizes that De Jong is not so much this box to box guy and more uh, suited to a Sergio Busquets role. Um, so we'll see how that evolves. But I think De Jong really should be the second best player on this team and, and really the engine of that midfield. Um, you know, it remains to be seen whether that will actually happen. But I, I think um, when you're looking at the whole squad, um, it, it, it should be De Jong. And for the longest time, I think it was Jordi Alba, to be honest. Um, I think the connection that he that he has had with Messi um, over the past couple of years, uh, they've really combined well on a few goals. And whenever Jordi Alba's not in the team, they just look a lot worse. So uh, I think... A guy like Dion needs to step up, uh, and it's also up to Coleman to put him in a position to succeed.
0: Yeah, for a long time, the messy ball over the top, cross field to Alba in behind, and then back across for Suarez or somebody else to tap in was a Barcelona staple for right. a long, long time. And um, you know, Sergio Des is getting a chance now with with Alba injured. Might be back for the Classico, still to be determined. So, yeah, again, a lot of intrigue around Barcelona this year. The one thing I'll say about Fatih is there are going to be ups and downs. (laughs) We know, we're talking about a teenager um, who's not even turned 18 yet. He's absolutely on fire right now, and he looks like he's going to be an absolute stud for a long time. But there are going to be dips in form, and for Barcelona fans, any of you out there listening, I think just be patient, even though he looks like an absolute world-beater and pretty much unstoppable at the moment. Um, There are going to be games where he plays poorly, and you're just going to have to accept that as we go along with such a young kid who still needs time to fully develop and become the superstar that he seems destined to be.
1: I would also suggest that the Spanish media don't put out absolutely vile, disgusting, and completely, they don't even make sense metaphors about him as well. Um,
0: Well, just flat-out racist. I think we can call a spade a spade.
1: Yeah, it's just absolutely disgusting um oh, well he, he got compared to a, a street vendor running away from the police um and i think they actually specified as well in this um piece of writing that he was a black street vendor just in case you weren't uh yeah uh, get, just in get, case. Get, getting the idea that they were being horrendously racist um the publication and i think the journalists have both apologized but i don't know that should be shut down in my view
0: Yeah, Salvador Sostres, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but if you're listening, do not come on the show.
2: Yeah, you're Uh, uninvited.
0: uh, My God. Like you said, Raels, for starters, obviously just blatantly racist. Uh, And then we got the classic non-apology apology apology afterwards, um, which seems to be a constant with these things. But the, the comparison was, he said afterwards that he was trying to highlight the grace of Fatih's movement during the game. So he compared him to a street vendor that you suddenly see running away when the police arrive. What? It's
2: Does that make any a sense reach.
0: at all? It, it makes such a no reach. sense
1: at all, and it also gives the impression that he regularly watches, you know, sits on a bench during his lunchtime and watches street vendors run away from police because he's, no he obviously is enthralled by their grace when they do so. It's just stupid. Like it is a massive reach. Like it's it's indefensible. Uh, the bloke shouldn't have a job the publication yeah it, it, should, it people should just not buy that shit
0: yeah he said afterwards that he was quote deeply sorry for any misunderstanding uh i don't think there was any misunderstanding i think we no. all understand very well what the issue is here so spanish newspaper abc you can probably leave that one on the shelf all right moving on very quickly before we go into our first break we'll lump the two italian teams into one here anthony we had Juve with a 2-0 win over Dynamo Kiev, Alvaro Morata, my large adult son, two more goals, <laughs> um, and Lazio with a, a surprising, frankly, 3-1 win and 3-1 upset over Bruce Let's very quickly start with Morata, a guy who I have always adored for some reason. I can't even explain it. Um, just irrational love, but... Three games into his second Juve tenure, three goals, uh, really stepping up in the absence of Ronaldo, who's out since his positive COVID 19 test. We wrote about this a little bit after the games, but I feel like he is in a really good spot right now to kind of thrive with a guy in Andrea Pirlo who, you know, played with him, knows him very well, and clearly trusts him. And I think, you know, fair or not, Maratta's been a guy who's been viewed as very timid throughout his career, and maybe in Pirlo, kind of a Certainly more than Diego Simeone, a kind of arm-around-the-shoulder type manager. Maybe this is the perfect guy for him to kind of take that next step in his career and a step that I think a lot of people for a long time have been expecting.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a player who, you know, needs to be put in a really good spot. And, you know, for the longest time, not even for the longest time, a couple of seasons, he played with an Atletico team that really struggled to, to, to get forward. And yet he still managed to produce... Uh, you know, at a, at a fair rate, um, I, I, I think for any for any kind of striker um, to play in an Atletico system, especially a striker um, uh, who is more of a traditional number nine, like Morata, to score 12, 13 goals in La Liga for Atletico is a, is a pretty good feat. Um, and and now, that he's, uh, now, now that he's with Juve, you know, I think he's getting more service, uh, which is absolutely key for Morata. And if he can create space for himself in the penalty area and and um, you know latch on to those crosses and um, you know he's a fantastic header of the ball so if if he can continue to do that uh, I think he can definitely hit double digits for Juve again once Ronaldo comes back uh, I'm not sure you know how much playing time he's going to get but uh, I feel like you know there's going to be some some kind of rotation here and um, Murata's had a nice little start and, and has vindicated uh Pirlo so far.
0: And meanwhile, your boy, our boy, Chiro Immobile. Um, <laughs> we've talked about how much we kind of you know, I talked about the irrational love for Murata, now the irrational hatred the other way for Chiro Immobile. Um, but he does what he continues to do for Lazio, and that's very simply just freaking score goals, man. And he scored another one against Dortmund, and I'm sure. Even though as much as he said he has no ill will towards that club for his time there, Uh, I'm sure he enjoyed that one a a little bit more than some of the others he scored over the past couple of years for Lazio.
2: No no doubt. No doubt. And I think his career, I think, is still kind of defined by that stint with Dortmund and and his stint with Sevilla. Um, I think he's still trying to escape um, the perception that that many people have from you know those 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 two years or th- that year and a half certainly it's, outside of Italy yeah certainly outside of Italy and uh, I think it's really important for him to perform in the Champions League to to kind of you know reverse uh, reverse that perception or or to, to cancel it all altogether um, you know Mobile's done a really really good job in Serie a and he's um, I think he's more than just a a poacher you know he's he's been very crucial to Lazio. Uh, in the build-up play, uh, his ability to link up with uh, Luis Alberto, who also had a fantastic game, talk about uh, another player who's you know uh, moved on uh, after you know a, a, a indifferent spell at Liverpool and has become really uh, a, one of one of the the best and, and most uh, spectacular players in, in Serie A. He's been just as crucial to Lazio as as Immobile has, uh, and 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 he provided a really really beautiful outside the boot pass uh, uh, in the lead up to one of Lazio's three goals. Um, yeah, the, the the two of them have similar career arcs, and Immobile he continues to do it at club level. If only he could do it for the national team. That's, oh God, it, it's it's one of those things where he's like the the reverse Edu Vargas, you know, <laughs> it just it just doesn't make sense.
0: I think, Rouse, if you told anybody outside of Italy that Ciro Mobile and Luis Alberto are two superstars of that league, and Alberto especially after how really disappointing that Liverpool stint was, this is a guy who may be arguably the most underrated playmaker in the game full stop right now. He's been that good for Lazio.
1: Yeah, I think uh, a lot of narrow minded people from England would say, No, is Alberta doing so well? He's kind of an example of how bad Serie A is, but I think it's such a lazy way Watch
0: to analyze Watch your
1: mouth. An... <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean such an, a lazy way to analyse things. I mean, sometimes moves don't work out for players, they go somewhere and they just don't fancy the place. I mean, obviously the, a big example was Angle D and Di Maria when he moved to Man United. Um him and his missus just didn't like Manchester, simple as that, didn't work out for them. He's moved on and had a fantastic career elsewhere and before he moved to Man United. So, sometimes moves don't work out for players, wrong place, wrong time, maybe too much competition. Maybe Luis Alberto, yeah, didn't like the area, who knows. But, well, it's, it's, it's a fantastic job of doing it, doing it, Lazio. Not everybody's favourite team, certainly not mine, but yeah, they're making an absolute fist of it, aren't they? It's the first time in the Champions
0: League for a while. The Angel Di Maria comparison, I think, is perfect. Also, I mean, fair play to to the Di Maria family. Madrid, Manchester, Paris. I think I know which one is lowest on the totem pole in that trio. (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping that would get a rise out of you somehow. Uh, All right. I think on that note, we'll uh, jump into a break. Very short one, and we'll come back on the other side. We'll take a look at Wednesday's Champions League action. Hey there, listeners. If you want more insight and analysis just like this for all of your other favorite sports, then you have to check out the complete collection of shows on the SCORE podcast network. Basketball fans, Pound the Rock dives deep into everything that's going on in the always entertaining world of the NBA. For all you baseball buffs, our Expand the Zone show meticulously breaks down the latest news from the Diamond. Hockey fans, check out Puck Pursuit for weekly interviews with industry-leading experts. And finally, if you're looking for fantasy football advice, Justin Boone's Fantasy Football Podcast is the only show that you need if you want to win your league. Every show on the SCORE Podcast Network is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. All right, welcome back to the Sweeper Keeper Podcast. And listeners, a reminder, as always, that we always want to hear from you. So if you want to get in on the conversation, hit us up on Twitter at Daniel J Rouse for Daniel Rouse, at SportsCaddy for Anthony Lopopolo, and at John Lucaneshi for myself. With your questions, comments, and suggestions, and don't forget to like, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. I know we do this on every show. But uh, those likes, those reviews, those comments, those suggestions, anything you think that we can improve, it all really does help. And we really do appreciate it. All right, guys. As promised, Wednesday's Champions League action. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot to get through, but we have to start. And I was saying this, Anthony, off the air. Um, This could just be one long laugh track directed at (laughs) Real Madrid because, you know, not to be too unfair to Shakhtar Donetsk, a very good team in their own right, um uh, with a lot of exciting, especially Brazilian players. Um, but a Shakhtar team missing ten first team guys due to a COVID nineteen outbreak. And they went in and handily beat Real Madrid in Spain in a game that finished three two, but frankly could have been four, five, even six. Um Real Madrid just lost at sea.
2: Yep, and, you know, we kind of predicted this uh in one of our earlier podcasts where they just didn't do anything in the transfer window to improve the, their squad. And, you know, Zidane has done well before with with this current crop of players. But, um, you know, the, they're several years older now. Um, and uh, it, it's just a different situation altogether. Um, and, and some of the guys that they did sign have just not performed to, um, to expectations. Edder Militao was a disaster at the back. Oof, uh, just. so bad. But not even from a technical standpoint, just looked like he didn't care, uh, and, and that I think is a is a, is a big big deal, um, and it should be a big deal to to someone like Zden. So uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to um, I think worry about with this squad, um, and they're a couple of injuries away from really 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 being in a bad spot. So it's 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 going to be a tough season uh, for for Real Madrid. I really don't expect them to go far in the Champions League. Um, I think they'll they'll make the next round, but I, I don't expect a deep run from them. Uh, I don't expect them to to defend their La Liga title. Uh, it, it, I just don't have um, a good feeling about this season for Madrid.
1: I don't like Real Madrid. I've never made any. Sense of that. <laughs> I just don't like him at all. Short um, and to the point. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but like, even if I talk about the current incarnation of this team, you know, I said that I kind of feel like how. Bad they are right now is being obscured by how horrendous uh, the Barcelona are at the moment. I just don't think Real Madrid are good at all. And I think, you know, in true club form, I think they approach this game with supreme arrogance. Um, I mean, they played Lu- Lukijovic, who, you know, Zidane clearly does not fancy. Uh no you know, sound bites from him and no teammates indicate that he doesn't really fancy playing football. Perhaps he's found, I don't know, Gareth Bale's old golf courses or something like that. (laughs) Um, You know, but, you know, hey, let's play him against, you know, Shakhtar Donetsk. I mean, uh, at Red Star, Jovic was chubby um, and said that uh, (laughs) basically the the club got on him to say, look, you need to start eating fish and drinking water, Um, you know, because his diet, I don't know what they sell in Serbia, but I assume it was the equivalent of uh, sausage rolls and Fanta. So... You know he's he's had questionable professionalism in the past, and you know the fact that he's now kind of doesn't really seem bothered at Real Madrid now is quite frankly hilarious. Um, but as I said, this was arrogance. This is a player that's not worked at Real Madrid, Zidane clearly does not like. But hey, you know let's play him against a uh, you know, little old Shakhtar. I mean, like, wake up! I know they're missing players, and I know they're from Ukraine, which isn't the hardest competition in the world, but. You know, they haven't lost a a league game since March. They've produced so many great Brazilian players all across the continent. Just wake up and just treat your opponents with a little bit of respect. It's completely under this.
0: Uh, First things first, shouts to Fanta. (laughs) Quality. Um, Real Madrid, (laughs) more importantly. They have the Classical coming up this weekend. This is a team who incredibly you know their season could be over before we even get to January if you look at their upcoming schedule they get Mönchengladbach twice Inter twice they have away games in the league against Valencia Villarreal and Sevilla you know there's a couple of games that on paper you think they should win sprinkled in there but they just lost to Cadiz so anything is on the table Um, and then in mid-December they close out this incredible run with the Madrid derby, so again, before we even hit Christmas, um, I don't think Real Madrid would fire Zidane after everything he's done there and done for them. But their season could be done before we even get to 2021.
1: I was also uh, well. We can only hope, can't we? But um, I was uh, I was thinking about El Clasico, and you know, with Real Madrid in third and Barcelona in ninth, their average position between the two of them is sixth. I mean, I'd love it for you know if there's a statistician or somebody with too much time in their hands to work out the lowest average position that these teams have been in when they've met each other in El Clásico. Hmm. I feel like this this might be the lowest quality El Clásico we could see for some time, for a long, long time. Like you're talking maybe turn of the century. It wouldn't surprise me if it went back back that far.
2: Well, the quality in general has dipped over the last couple of years. And it's been
0: trending that way, yeah. I
2: would say the excitement as well uh, going into these games. I certainly am not. I mean, it's just another game for me to be honest. Now, uh, at this point, we've had so many in a row, and, and and to be fair, some fantastic games. But you know, without the Ronaldo, Messi element, um, you know, with two teams that are clearly not at their best, it's it just doesn't appeal to me, and I don't think it appeals to the general. Um, you know football population I could be wrong but that's that's how I'm reading the situation right now even just the hatred you know the level of hatred that we saw you know even when Mourinho was coaching Real Madrid and that the the famous eye poke um, the just that that vibe is is missing you know and and that's really what made El Clasico such a fierce rivalry and such a such a um, you know, such a, a, a spectacle. You know, the not only the goals and the fireworks, but also the you know the tit for tat and and uh, the back and forth and you know the truce that they had to make. And while you know the Spanish national players um, from each team, uh, you know, were playing against each other. And when they when they had to go to the national team, you know, they agreed to put their differences aside. That none of that's there anymore, and, and it just doesn't feel like there's much. To the Derby, or there's doesn't feel like there's much to the rivalry, and, and I guess that's why we are where we are right now.
0: The answer is obvious. Then we bring back Jose Mourinho somehow.
2: One thousand <laughs> <laughs> percent.
0: Respect, 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 man. Respect, respect, myself, respect, man. So, if you do decide to take a pass on the classical this weekend, um the obvious suggestion. I guess then, guys, is to to watch Bayern Munich instead because they are non-stop entertainment on the other side of the coin. Absolutely tore Atletico Madrid apart. We went into this game on Wednesday and went into this week, really, I think looking at this as the marquee match, reigning champions against a, a team that always performs well in this tournament setting... And this was a no contest. I mean, is there anybody in this tournament? Obviously, anything can happen. Weird bounces, one-off games, you never know. But who the hell is going to slow down Bayern Munich? Um, It could have been PSG,
1: as I said earlier, couldn't it? Um, I just feel that that high defensive line, I think during that Champions League run, when they were so emphatic and so much fun to watch, they were still a little bit susceptible at the back they could still you know you could still hit a ball over the top and have somebody run onto it very basic uh you know tactic i know but i still think that can be taken advantage of and obviously you know with psg's front line i think there's enough uh, you know guile and pace to kind of get the better of that and on another day i think psg could have won that champions league final um on top of that i don't know man city don't really look at it in um, a Ferran Torres hits his stride and gets plenty of game time. Maybe that kind of pace could get the better of uh, Bayern's back line. But yeah, maybe Liverpool on a good day. But honestly, Bayern are head and shoulders above the rest of the pack right now.
2: Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I, at the moment, I don't really see anybody coming close to Bayern. Um, you know, Atletico obviously just got rocked by them. That city, I think, they're a bit too inconsistent at the moment. Um, You know, this could all change a few months from now when we get to the business end of the tournament and I expect all these big teams to be there. But, um, you know, Barcelona is still very much a work in progress. Um, Real Madrid, we just ripped them to shreds, so I'm not going to even, you know, bring them up as a contender. Uh, Honestly, maybe if Chelsea can get it together, if they can find that balance in in the second half of the season, maybe. Um, And I would say You know, Juventus are are kind of close, uh, but they still, you know, they have their own inconsistencies. So um, right now, as it stands, you know, Bayern stand alone.
0: Yeah, I just think when you go through the list of essentially every team and, you know, even the betting favorites outside of Bayern, they all have pretty big question marks. And I think one last point on Bayern, uh, Rory Smith in the New York Times Wrote uh, a typically excellent piece, just asking a, a very good question, a simple question. Have they sort of quietly gone from, you know, one of these golden generations with Robin and Ribery into another era of dominance, and sort of quietly, uh, because they've retooled the whole team with young players all over the place. I feel like they don't get enough love for their, specifically for their transfer dealings, and a guy like Joshua Kimmich, I think, is a perfect example. They got him. From Leipzig uh, four or five years ago for what, seven million, eight million? That might go down, we were saying, in the modern era, arguably as the greatest transfer ever when you look at what he's going to end up doing in his career um, and how valuable he's going to be to this team for a long time and <laughs> how little they got him for. It's absolutely ridiculous.
2: Yeah, from a pure value standpoint, you just can't get much better than that. And I believe. You know that's believe that happened while Guardiola was there. You know that just goes to show you how how much that this team looks ahead, and how this club tries to find those little inefficiencies in the market, in the transfer market. And uh, they've done a fantastic job. Uh, and you're right, I don't think they get enough credit for it.
1: Yeah, probably the second best deal we've seen this century after Martin Braithwaite. <laughs>
0: Oh my God, your boy. President of the Martin Braithwaite fan club. Uh, Okay, very quickly before our final break, we mentioned Liverpool as a potential contender. If there are any Liverpool fans listening to this podcast, we will now finally get into basically the only topic that's mattered for Liverpool over the past week. Virgil van Dijk and can they cope without him? Before we get into that in the game against Ajax thoughts on the Jordan Pickford tackle and specifically all the uproar and the responses to it afterwards you know the most recent being Ancelotti really calling out anybody who suggested that Pickford did it on purpose Um, I don't think he did it on purpose that doesn't mean that it wasn't a wretched tackle but uh you know obviously two things can be true here
1: it was a disgusting tackle wasn't it it was just like um Something that Phil Jones would do after drinking like loads of ten percent lager or something like that—it was just completely erratic, no, no skill whatsoever. I don't, I don't think you would need the
2: lager for that. <laughs> That's
1: a good point. Good point. I just, uh, you know, Pickford. It's a shame, really, because like apart from that, I think he had a pretty decent game. Um, you know, and he, 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 he was almost culpable for an equaliser at the end. But I think aside from that, I think his distribution got better over the course of the game. I think he made a few good saves, but then. You know, he was in the firing line before that because of his poor performances. Now he's most definitely in the firing line because he's injured the Premier League's best defender for a long, long time. And it was completely avoidable. Uh, yeah, it's really kind of exposed an area where Liverpool perhaps aren't the strongest. Um, because John Matip's had his injury issues, um, can be a little bit... Static, maybe, sometimes as a defender. Um, I like Joe Gomez, but I know he came into quite a lot of stick recently in that um, Aston Villa game. Um, so, you know, you're looking at Fabinho at the back and, I uh, don't know, on the uh, evidence against Ajax um, and the fact that it was his fourth starter centre-back for Liverpool and his fourth clean sheet, it, it doesn't look so bad all of a sudden, does it?
2: I, I just think it's really, really difficult to envision Liverpool um, competing in all these competitions uh, without Van Dyke or any kind of replacement, um, you know, it, it just just going the rest of the season with Matip and Joe Gomez is your really your only two senior options at the center at the center back position. Um, I think I think Liverpool have no choice but to sign someone in January, and you know I don't know um, in what kind of budget they'll have uh, for the next transfer window, but. Um, I don't necessarily think it has to be a headliner or, or, or a really um, high-profile name. Uh, I think somebody who's you know either played or uh, is playing in the Premier League or even someone who's worked for Klopp uh, or even someone who's worked under Klopp um, before. Uh, the two names that I, that I jotted down here, um, Socrates and Sven Bender. Um, Socrates obviously is really not in the Arsenal picture right now but um, played under, under Klopp at Dortmund and um, could do a job uh, at least temporarily for, for Liverpool and Sven Bender you know is playing at Leverkusen now I think you know that somebody who could come at a reasonable price um, and could and could fit right into the Klopp system um, uh, fairly easily so it's something to consider, I think, uh, for Liverpool, if, if, they, if they really want to compete, um, in all these, in all these competitions, I think they have to make a move.
1: I kind of just make a quick note for, uh, Reece Williams, who came off the bench against Ajax for Liverpool. Um, this kid's been with Liverpool's academy since he was 10 years old. He's from Preston, which isn't too far away from Liverpool. Um, only in only February of this year. He was playing for Kidderminster Harriers. On He was on loan at Kidderminster, playing away at Farsley Celtic. Neither of those a,
0: are real clubs. Wow.
1: Exactly. In the, <laughs> fifth tier, in the fifth tier of English football in February. And now in October, he's making his Champions League debut. I mean, that is just the stuff of dreams right there.
0: You definitely just made up all those names.
1: <laughs> um,
0: I guess I'll throw out one name quickly that I think they may have been linked with in the past very briefly. But Ozan Kabak from Schalke because... Yep. Um, mainly because Schalke are just an absolute cluster of a club and they are so hilariously bad. Uh, And I think it might be in their best interest to get something for him before they potentially lose him for free down the line, which is a problem that club has had so many times with so many high-profile talents. Um, I think Joel Matip being one of them. So yeah, maybe that's a guy that they look at. Definitely more expensive than any of the other options potentially on the table. But I think Liverpool are, are probably in a, a pretty decent position financially compared to some of the other clubs in the game right now. So maybe that's a just a name to keep an eye on going into January.
1: No, I think that's a pretty decent call. And also, you know, maybe Martin Braithwaite could do a couple
2: of things. <laughs> I was waiting for it to pop oh, up one more time.
0: There we go. <laughs> Let's see how many Martin Braithwaite references Rouse can squeeze into the final segment, which we'll jump into after we take one more very short break. Hey there, listeners. If you like what you've heard so far, please take a second to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, or SoundCloud. And don't forget, leave a comment and a rating. Let us know what you think we're doing well and where you think we can improve. And now, let's get back to the footy talk. All right, welcome back one more time for the final segment of today's show. And we're going to use these last couple of minutes here to take a quick spin around the news bulletin and the biggest news item, Rouse, that dropped over the last couple of days amidst all the Champions League stuff that was going on. Once again, we got talk of a European Super League being formed. This seems to pop up every couple of months. Um, I think the timing is very interesting. On the back of Project Big Picture being shot down, but what are your thoughts about um, the latest suggestions that a collection of the biggest clubs in the world could break off and create their own league?
1: My hope is obviously that it's just a political ploy um, for these elite clubs to get more money or get more rules implemented that protect protect them from the ambitious clubs trying to gate crash the glitterati, but. Um, I don't know I feel like the more it goes on the more more truth there is to this and it's if it encroaches on the domestic game and if it harms the domestic competition um, I have no interest in it whatsoever and I can't imagine any way that it wouldn't because this would be for you know before a playoff playoff system at the end I think it would be an 18 team league so that you're talking 34 games a season. Right now, I think the Champions League winner, what, they play maybe like 13 games or something like that. So it's a huge extra load, no, extra workload to put onto a calendar. And I just feel that, um, you know, I think people will soon realise that they don't really want this. I mean, the true rivalries that you want to see are the ones you see in domestic football, when you want to see Milan versus Inter, you want to see Liverpool versus Manchester United. They're the real events that that's where you know these these rivalries go back decades upon decades and i think people soon realize and i i think it's i, I was a bit annoyed that uefa used the word boring in their statement because i think it sounds like a cop-out but it is there to be fair to them completely true that you know right now Juventus versus atletico madrid for the most part would be a bit of a novelty and it'd be you know kind of interesting but A few years down the line, you know, I make reference to this horrendous game again, it would be another Burnley versus West Brom, or maybe a Burnley versus Crystal Palace, you know, two, you know, mid-table teams just, you know, facing each other, you know, here we go again, it's just, I don't know, the the main selling point for continental football for me is the novelty, is the difference in tactical battles, is the opportunity for fans to travel to places they don't wouldn't often go or see players they wouldn't often see and if there's a European Super League or whatever they want to call it this time round happening that all that novelty is going to go and people will soon get bored of it.
0: Anthony I think you know amongst the three of us that's a, a sentiment we all agree with and I think it's one that a lot of people agree with especially um, for lack of a better word sort of the the older generation of football fans and certainly the English media I think you've seen that widespread response especially on Twitter in the last couple days but I do think that it it may be a little naive of us to think that this type of super league would not be massively popular amongst a, a newer younger generation that perhaps frankly doesn't give a crap about Burnley West Brom Crystal Palace and you know away trips to Craven cottage and and Selhurst Park like there is certainly a fan base out there that wants to see Manchester United against Barcelona, Real Madrid against Juve every single week. I think it's naive to think those people aren't out there.
2: There's no question that those matches will draw numbers. I mean, I always I go back to this comparison quite a bit. You know, the McGregor Mayweather fight was absolute dog shit but they were just rolling in cash because there was massive interest in it and I think we would get to that level to be honest uh, with with these teams uh, if they did form some kind of super league uh, you would get you know massive interest but I just don't think the quality would be there even between um, these teams I think the novelty will wear off fairly quickly I think maybe the first few seasons you know you'd see that that real cash boom, but uh, I don't know if the longevity would be there. If Mayweather and McGregor fought another five times, I think you get less, fewer and fewer people tuning into each one, uh, and so I, I just don't know if um, I, I just don't know if that's a viable plan going forward for for any of these teams. You know, I, I still watch a Champions League uh, to to see a team like Shakhtar beat Madrid. You know, that, that to me is, is appealing and um, Rouse is right when we talk about, you know, traveling to different places, uh, you know, once it's safe to do so, um, that's one of the, the, the biggest privileges I think that fans have when their team makes uh, the Champions League or even the Europa League. It's just um, that that draw is, is, is you know, uh, I think paramount when it comes to uh, fan culture and, and, and supporters of, of all these different teams. Uh, and so I, I think, yes, from one standpoint, the sponsors, um, you know, the, the TV deals, there will be a boatloads of cash. But, um, you know, after 10 years of, you know, watching the same teams play each other, I just don't know if, if the interest will be there.
1: I'm glad you brought up Shakhtar as well, because, yeah, that was a great result and a great example of something we would no longer have. And we would no longer have the runs of teams like Ajax and Atalanta you know, in these tournaments because they wouldn't be invited because they're not rich and big enough. Um, You know, it's not something I want to watch. I mean, like some of the greatest moments in sports that we know we have memories of are underdog moments. And we wouldn't have those. A key aspect of sports and why sports are great are when the big guy gets beaten by the small guy. And we wouldn't have that anymore. So why would you take one of the greatest ingredients of sports away from it? It's just... um, And as as we've said, I think the vast majority of people are against this.
2: The Champions League has already become a pretty exclusive competition. Um, You know, we're not seeing a team like Monaco win the tournament anymore. Those days are 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 long gone. Uh, And Atalanta, you know, runs like that are, are still very uncommon. And so it's not like we're seeing upsets all the time. It's still a very rare thing. And I think, you know, the threat to these big clubs, you know, they may not want to lose out on all the cash in the champions league they may not uh they want to maybe they want to be protected from you know maybe a team like Real Madrid wants to be protected from losing to a team like Shakhtar uh and this is their way to do it uh but uh I just don't I I think we've already reached a point in this tournament where it is pretty exclusive it's a pretty exclusive club uh and um you know I just don't think it needs to be made any more exclusive
1: And, like, why do you need all that money? Like, like what? Like, I feel that these big clubs, they've already got their team to the the best that they could do with the, you know, the the ownership they've got with how well-run they are. It's kind of reflected by what product they got on the pitch. And, you know, say if Bayern Munich earned loads more money, like, what are they going to do with that? Say if Man City earned loads of money, like, what are they going to do with that? Are they just going to, I don't know, Go to Sheffield United and buy John Fleck for the reserves or something like that. I mean, what's the point in having more money? They've already got loads of money, they're already buying all the players they want. I just don't understand this greed. I, I yeah, it's just completely against the game for me. Um, I know that if, you know, this you know, meant in you know, domestic football basically being a diluted product, I, I'd find it really, really difficult to get enthusiastic about my job, to be honest.
2: Oh, I think the, the, the main group of people who would benefit from this is the owners of, of these big clubs. You know, I think they they see an opportunity to create a kind of NFL model where every single owner is pretty much profitable, every team is profitable. Um, we all know that, you know, world football it's a is a it's a loss making industry. Um, maybe this is a way for them to to, to, to turn into a profitable industry. Uh, Again, I'm not. I don't think that's the way forward. Uh, and I think even to the culture of football, owners should really be custodians for these clubs. They shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't be the be all and end all. You know, the Glazer shouldn't be the be all and end all of Manchester United. Uh, and so, I think it's a little bit different when, when you could if if we compare um, the NFL or any kind of profitable sports league to to world football, it's just a different it's a different story altogether.
0: I certainly agree with both of you on all of that but I mean you guys hit the nail on the head. What's the what's the driving factor behind all this and it's the same way it is in uh, general society and that's uh, that's the cash. And I really truly believe especially now with all the financial struggles that all these clubs are going through I don't think it's going to happen. I still do think that the threat of a breakaway league is more valuable to the big clubs than actually forming one but if they think there's more money to be made in it I do truly believe they'll make a strong push to do it and I think it's telling that you know this is at least not outwardly backed by FIFA but FIFA certainly didn't deny it when they they came out and said you know oh yeah no comment right now um since Infantino's been there there's been a push for bigger more glitzier club competitions and turning the club world cup into a giant 32 team tournament. UEFA is certainly against this because it would cripple the Champions League. If this Super League came to be, I think you could certainly have that plus the domestic leagues. I don't think you could have the Super League, the domestic league, and the Champions League. It just doesn't work. No way. So again, I mean, you know, Ross, you said, what do they need more money for? They don't, frankly. But the, you try telling some of these billionaires, oh, now, yeah, you don't need any more money. It's fine. Uh, if there's more money out there to be made, I think they're going to try everything in their power to do it. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but if it's going to happen, I think it's going to be within the next couple of years. I think if we get past that point, point, then and everything sort of starts to stabilize after that, we should be okay. But um, I think we're as close as we've ever been to actually seeing one of these things come to fruition. All right, sort of a uh, dour note to end on there, but... Rouse, if all else fails, we just put Martin Braithwaite in charge of FIFA and he'll fix everything. <laughs> what the <a> man. <laughs> okay, so that'll do it for today's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I certainly did. Thanks very much to Anthony Lapopolo.
1: You're very welcome.
0: And to Daniel Rouse. Thank you. And most importantly, as always, thank you guys very much for listening. I'm Gianluca Lucaneshi. We'll talk soon. My senses
2: Like a gallon of magnets Like a
0: packet of the Like a good pinch of snuff Like a night out in Sheffield Like a greasy jerk potty I right. should yeah. yeah.